It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Welcome to the Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston, sitting here with my co-host, Mr. Bo Hansen. And this is going to be one that um, I'm pretty excited about. First, uh, let me kind of give you a teaser of what we're going to be talking about totally. And then I'm even going to give you a lead-in for the show that we're going to do in two weeks. Uh, the the kind of the teaser for what we're going to be doing today is, is that I kind of get excited. Well, I don't know if excited is the word, but it's one of those things I have become excited. I kind of dreaded it in the beginning, and now I've, I've truly become excited is that it was time for open enrollment for my health insurance. And part of the open enrollment for health insurance is I had to go evaluate all the options out there and figure it out. And there was a big development this year when I started going through the numbers that a plan that I've always kind of hoped for, but it just wasn't quite mature enough and ready for me to jump in, that option is now a full-blown winner, and I want to kind of talk about that with you. So, and I'll go ahead and kind of let the cat out of the bag. I was very excited about the high deductible plan um, it, that allowed me to have a health savings account attached to my insurance. In the past, that has not worked out with the savings and premiums. It wasn't worth taking on the additional risk and the money that was going to come out of my pocket. But this year is different. So, so hang around for the meat of the the show, and we're going to talk about how health insurance has evolved. You know, kind of even give you some historic background on how, you know, your health insurance works. And I think that's going to be very educational. But I know it's boring, so we're going to kick it up with some other things. Now, one of the things I kind of want to give you a tease on um, the next show we're going to be doing is one of my favorite shows of the year. And, Bo, what type of preparation have I already started doing for for what's going to happen? Well, how, how do I put this? The next show we're going to be doing is on Black Friday, by the way, guys. Uh, that is, you know, I, I get kind of giddy when I start thinking about how much I can save um, for Black Friday and the things I need. And I think that what's funny to me is, and believe me, but I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm, I didn't give you a chance to answer or do anything. I just kind of jumped right in and answered my own question. Is But I know that I'm obviously showing my excitement when I have my own clients send me articles about... Black Friday that's coming in October. There was an article in the New York Times that was sent over by a client, and I'll, I'll touch on that in just a second. But I was also interviewed by our fa- one of our favorite journalists, Aaron Peterson, is going to be doing a piece um, for, I don't want to say who it's with yet, but it's a good publication, big publication, that, that when it comes out, I'm hoping it comes out before we do the next show so that we can talk about it. But what have I been doing to prepare for Black Friday? What have you been doing? Uh-huh. Well, Okay, so first thing you've been doing is you've got, been going around, and I don't know if you've been doing this at home because I think you drive your wife crazy, but the office, you've been going around taking inventory of everything you need. Yep. I need this, I need one of these, I need two of these, all the way around the office. And then um, I think you've already started the internet internet part of the game? Is yeah, that, is I've that start, started, I've started doing? doing some preliminary research. And that's what a perfect example, believe me, we're going to get back to the meat of talking about the health insurance here in a minute. Um, and this is not going to be what the podcast is about, but you can tell my excitement is. But part of um, Bo and I was in my office, and I noticed my right speaker was not working on, on the speakers that I have for my computer in the office. So I go over there and I start fiddling around with the speaker connections. And daggummit, if one of the speaker connections just didn't straight up fall off. That's probably why the right speaker was not working, is that it just completely fell out of the back of the 
the plug-in box area. So I, I looked up at Bo and goes, well, there's one more thing I'm going to need for, you know, Black Friday. And instead of being remorseful about it, I'm kind of excited about it because, you know, when you get new speakers, probably the latest and greatest technology, probably made a lot of improvements in the last four years. But um, what I thought was interesting, and like I said, one of my own clients sent me an article from the New York Times that was, came out yesterday, because today's the 29th. We're probably not going to get to release this show until first of next week because we're having some technical problems. Bo, do you want to kind of give some heads up on what's going on there? Yeah, guys, if you've noticed, probably in the last week, maybe even the last two times you haven't gotten the blast emails from us, it's because we're actually in the process of updating all of our software. So we've had a, a few little kinks. Um, if you've been out on iTunes, you notice that more shows are available than are actually supposed to be available. It's all just because we're going through this update process. We're going to have it all ironed out over the next week or two. Um, and you're going to start getting your blast emails, and hopefully they'll even be a little bit better. There's some uh, new HTML stuff you can do if that means anything to you guys. And um, so we're just we're, we're getting all of it updated so we can put together a better show for you guys. Um, one thing I didn't um, get to, to ask, have we put out the new commentary also? We have not because I don't want to put that out available until we're able to send out an email to everyone saying, okay. hey, it's up there. Well, let's go ahead and put the new commentary out in the, when we publish this podcast, not to give you more work, but let, let's make sure we do that. And um, uh, But the big thing is I'm going to give Bo this link. There's not a lot to cover in this article. I just thought it was very interesting that my client gave it to me, and I think Aaron... Um, Peterson will probably find it interesting since she is writing that Black Friday piece right now. But there's a an article came out on October 28th called "Stores Push Black Friday into October." It was by Stephanie Clifford, and the biggest thing I got out of it was that a lot of stores, including Walmart, have had some disappointing sales, some kind of tepid sales numbers that they've been presenting. So they're getting aggressive. Sears. Walmart, and but then some of the other stores that have actually had incredible sales, like Walmart, I mean, Amazon and some of your online retailers are going ahead and get into the game because it's just so competitive to get your every dollar that they can from you during this holiday season. So some already listing sales is like pre-Black Friday sales, and they're starting as soon as like today. Um, and Toys R Us is doing something this Sunday, so by the time you listen to this, it'll probably have already passed, but believe me, I think that probably the next week they'll have another pre-Black Friday. But my advice would be use these as, as research opportunities to kind of go ahead and as you're taking inventory of what you need, seeing what these prices are, I still would hold off until that week of Thanksgiving before you really pull the trigger on some of the big purchases, because that's usually when they go crazy with coming out with the off-the-wall prices. But still thought it was a great lead-in to talk about that we're, in two weeks we're going to be doing the um, Black Friday show. Also, for all of my, my financial advisors, my, my fellow financial advisors that come out to the Money Guy show and listen, you know, to talk about client issues and other things, and you like, you know, having somebody else to kind of share financial ideas with. What we, I know we have insurance agents, we have, you know, broker-dealers as well as other fee-only advisors. Um, I've got a big announcement to tell you about at the end of the show. And if you're a student, you know, we also get a lot of emails from people who are thinking about getting into the industry or, or their students um, at, a, at a college and they're either finance majors or financial planning majors or CPA, you know, accounting majors. Um, we're going to have something at the end. I'm going to put it at the end just so you, you guys can hear some of the one of the new projects we're doing with one of my big heroes in this industry. And I'll, I'll kind of explain that to you. But let's talk about health insurance. I thought this was, it was one of those things where, um, and, and let me let me hit pause and also say because I kind of you can tell my excitement. I jumped right in. If you're new to the Money Guy experience, go check us out. You can go to money-guy.com. You can also write the show at Brian B R I A N at money-guy.com and even sign up for the free membership where we can send you out that blast email. I know we've been having some technical problems with it, but that will soon be fixed. But um, you guys have always been tremendous to us. 
And um, by day, I am a fee-only wealth manager on the south side of Atlanta. I'm a certified public accountant, certified financial planner, and a personal financial specialist. And, you know, Bo is, um, works with me on a day-to-day basis. And we're just here to try to really go beyond common sense with your financial decisions, but also help you kind of bring some some comfort as well as some calmness to the chaos of your financial life. So thanks for joining us, and I really appreciate it. Now that we've got kind of that intro in, know where you are, um, let's talk about the health insurance. I think it's interesting, and, and I thought, you know, I've been managing assets, you know, for, for going on, you know, 15 years now. And I have, and this whole industry has evolved so much just in the last five years. And then, of course, you couldn't, you'd have to live under a stone not to notice that one of the biggest national debates that's occurred in the last, probably in my generation, has been the healthcare reform discussion that went on, um, you know, this past year. So uh, it's time to, to obviously open re- enrollment comes around. It's time to, to see what my options are. This is exciting stuff. And one of the things I thought was interesting was one of my clients is a does a lot of group benefits, and you know I had a chance to go talk to him and tell him I was doing the show. And if, if if logistically it worked out, I would have loved to have had him on the show because it, I could have just sat there for hours listening to him give the history of how working with group health insurance plans has has evolved over over time. And at the end of our discussion, because I sat in there with him for about thirty to forty minutes, he goes, you, "Aren't your podcasts only about 40, 45 minutes?" And I said, "Yeah." He goes, how are you going to get all this in? And I don't know if we are, but I'm going to try to give you, I guess, the Cliff Notes versions, the summary, and we're going to try to get as much as possible. But I think it's important when we're talking about group health insurance that um, I will also need to give you a disclaimer and tell you that I'm basing a lot of the numbers and a lot of the information I'm giving you are going to be based upon the state of Georgia health benefit plan. So if your state has different underwriting requirements, different rules, that's the disclaimer because this stuff is based off of the Georgia State Health Benefit Plan because that impacts a lot of the people I know in my life. My mom was a retired teacher. Um, a lot of you know people in the state of Georgia work for the government. And these also is probably a good indicator of what's going on on the national basis because there is some variance, but I think this still probably lends itself to a really good discussion on health care. Um, but I did want to put that disclaimer out there because I know we have listeners all over the country as well as all over the world, and I don't want you hearing something that's going on here in Georgia and assuming that it is exactly the same where you live. So I, I want to make sure I got you that that disclaimer. But I thought one of the ways to lead into this was talking about really the evolution of group health insurance. One of the things I thought was very interesting, and don't worry if you're self-employed, it's not a lot of what I'm going to be telling you is definitely going to benefit you too, but I think it's important that we focus on discussing group just because it's important since there are a lot of people that work for employers that provide health insurance. But I can remember even as of or as soon as three to five years ago, when you looked at your health insurance options, kind of the default that everybody did was the, the PPO. You know, you did the PPO and you just wanted to make sure that your your primary care doctor was within the network. Um, you know, but it, you, you could get out of network. It just had different co-pays and things like that. And that's really what drove how the PPO worked is what was your copay? And it was no big deal because you had a copay for your prescription drugs. You had a copay for doctor's visits. And, you know, and it was no more than 15, 20 bucks. Um, and, and that was it. You know, and the great thing about PPOs at the time was that you go to the doctor and you pay your copay. 
And then you forget about it. You get better and just forget about the whole experience of going to the doctor because the, the doctor's office would bill the insurance company and any discrepancies, they would kind of take care of and wash, wash, you know, wash out in the end um, as they discussed back and forth uh, the coverage because you had already you know, paid your copay. You're out of the discussion. Well, I've noticed that there's been a trend. Then you had the HMOs come out, and, and that was probably a trend that came out and I'm not exact on this. I'm just going off of my own memory. But it was probably either the late 80s or early, you know, sometime in the 90s, HMOs kind of became um, pretty prevalent. They were, they were around. But, you know, what was interesting about HMOs is that they were not loved. I mean, you know, you, you heard it almost became a cuss word. You, you had um, people, you know, who were talking about how their HMO did them wrong. It became kind of a, a hot topic that was in the news media a lot. And, PP, you know, HMOs, the kind of the underlying of how they worked is that HMOs formed these networks where they would go to a community and they would talk to a doctor and they'd say, um, can you give us a discounted rate on your services? And if you do that, we'll put you in our network and but we're only going to ask you to be part of our network, so you're going to have a competitive advantage from other other doctors in the community. But if you will discount your rates, and you know the doctors will be like, "Well, great, this brings me a whole group of of patients that are going to come to me exclusively because I'm going to be the only one. So why not go ahead and discount things?" So that that's how HMOs really worked, and they didn't have an out of most HMOs. Um, the ones I've ever been involved with do not have an out of network option. You're in network, and that's really it. And in copays, you know, they had copays just like PPOs. So they were very similar to PPOs in the fact that you had copays and you go to the doctor and, and, and that was it. And you'd forget about the experience. But the difference was is that they kind of had reduced costs because they were negotiating things even more so than the PPOs were. Um, I, you know, I was talking to my, my client who is a, a broker of health insurance for, for large and small groups. And he was talking about, he says, Brian, you realize what we're going to. And I said, what? He goes, as much as things change, they always go back to the same too. And he says, you know, we're going back to the way it was back in the sixties and seventies when I first got into the industry. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you know how things worked back before you had co-pays and everything else. I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, the way it used to work is you'd have a $500 deductible and then an 80, 20 split, meaning that you'd have $500 that you'd have to pay out of, you know, deductible that you'd have to reach first. And then once you hit that $500 out of pocket, 80% would be covered by the insurance company, then 20% would be covered by you, the individual, until you hit your out-of-pocket limits. And that's really how it worked. And it wasn't until, you know, the, the, the 80s and 90s that we had this kind of evolution where we got into um, co-pays. And it was really a cost-saving feature, or, or it was proposed to be a cost-saving feature at the time because, you know, PPOs and HMOs would go out and negotiate these predetermined prices with the doctors, and it was supposedly going to save all this money. But as much as things have changed, it seems like we're kind of going back to the way it was to a degree, but, but because that leads me to my next thing, is that because copays, you remember I said when copays used to be $15, $20, now copays are getting to be where last year, I think a lot of um, the plans I, w I looked at were 30 to $35. This year, they've gone up to $45. I've even heard, aren't there some plans out there that were $60, Bo, that we've seen? I think so. Um, so your copays are not as cheap as they used to be. And so now enter HRAs and HSAs. So HRAs represent health reimbursement accounts, um, and then HSAs represent 
health savings accounts. But health savings accounts is just really the saving, you know, that's the pro, that's the vehicle that helps save the money. HSAs are actually attached to high deductible health plans. So HDHP is what you typically see as, as your choice when you're looking at group plans. And these things, what, what I think is very interesting about them is that they... They put really put you to have skin in the game. That's what that's what if you really want to boil it down to what these things are, is they're making you take more ownership of your health insurance. Because I think what's happening is is that uh, and this is what my, my client was talking about, is that kind of the the unforeseen result of the copays and how it worked is is that doctors they realize something. And it, not all doctors, so please don't think, you know, that I'm, because believe me, we have doctors as clients and everything else. I just want you to kind of have a background of how this all goes down is what I was explained by one of my clients. Is that doctors, and, I, and it, when he was telling me this, it kind of made sense because I can tell you this has happened to me. Is that what happened was when doctors realized that they, they had signed on to these networks, and at first it was a competitive advantage, but now, you, you, I mean, you look at these lists, Every doctor in your community is probably part of the network because they all, you know, as time went, you might have been exclusive in the beginning, but you very quickly, that, that system expanded because you got kind of tied into the network and then they all opened that network up to other doctors. And what were you going to do? Drop off? No. So you ended up, the, the network just expanded and expanded. So as that happened, these doctors, to a degree, uh, you know, I don't think they were driven into the poorhouse, but they, they, they got pushed. So that it became a game. And that's exactly how my client described it as a game. Because what happened was, is that what you do is, the client, your patient comes in and they tell you they, they have a cold. They come in and you make, they pay the copay, you bill the insurance company, they, they cut it down. And I'm going to explain how much it gets cut in a minute when I'm explaining how HRAs and HSAs work out. So the way the doctors got very creative, because remember, there's nothing that limits your behavior. You can go to the doctor you know, 20 times, 30 times, 40 times a year. I mean, there's no limit. You know, you just pay your copay and then it gets billed to the insurance company. So doctors realize, well, what I'll do is when a client comes to me and sees me who's sick, I will prescribe them, you know, and take care of it. But then I'll have them follow up with me a week later or two weeks later, do a follow-up visit where I'll get another copay and I'll get to go rebuild the insurance company again. And that's pretty, that became kind of a norm. I mean, I know when I've gone to the doctor with a cold or something, it is true that I have been asked to come back and they want to see you again. Now, I'm sure that some of that is truthfully because of concern, but some of it could be business motivated too. And I'm not saying that at all. Please, if you're a doctor or a former doctor, or you have family members, it's not something that I'm picking on the doctors about. It's just that the way, kind of an unforeseen way that the system changed. So I think it's good that we're getting back to where you have some ownership because if you know that you have to pay, a little bit more, you're probably going to be not be as inclined to do some things that you might not eat. And you're probably not going to be inclined. It's just like, I'll tell you, if, if we'd have been recording this podcast on Monday, I was a grumpy guy. Amen. Well, it's because I caught a head cold. It had gone through my, my, my infant daughter, my wife had caught it. And then somehow I, even though, you know, I thought I was taking all the precautions, I ended up catching this cold too. So Sunday I was, I didn't feel good. Monday, I didn't feel good. I probably still have a little growl in my voice. It's a little deeper, a little very whitish more so than normal, um, you know, the, the, because of the sickness. But I didn't go to the doctor because I said, you know what? This is not that big of a deal. I've watched it. It took about two days for every one of my family members who's had it to this point. 
I just need to take a decongestant and I'm going to be okay. And, and, and that was easy. Even though I have my doctor that I go to is, is actually a neighbor of mine. Great guy. I mean, you know, when I go see Alan, he clears me up lickety split. So, you know, I, I had every incentive, but because I have skin in the game, I was just like, I'll just go take some over the counters and I'll be fine. Um, so I think that's interesting. So the system, once again, because of this, that there's this game going on that the system's evolving again. And it seems like it's going more back to the way it was. Bo, do you have anything else you want to put in? Or no. Are you still listening? No. Um, so we jump into HRAs. And I'll tell you, guys, this is what's interesting to me is that um, I feel like I'm a little ahead of the curve. And you listen to this show, I think you're going to be a year to two years ahead of all of your peers. Because I jumped over to the HMO with the health insurance that I had from the PPO. Everybody was doing the PPOs. And then I looked and I said, wait a minute, all the doctors I go to are part of the HMO network. Um, the HMO is significantly cheaper on my monthly premiums. I'm switching over to the HMO because I don't have to call and ask for if I need to go see a specialist. As long as they're part of the network, I don't have to get referrals or anything. I can jump right in. And it was a good deal. So I jumped over to the HMO about a year to two years before a lot of my peers did um, where I'm registering for this system. So then last year, I jumped over to the HRA because I looked at it and the savings and premium was significant. And then I was going to get free money. Remember, this is one of the benefits of HRAs, health reimbursement accounts, is that your employer is going to prime the pump of you having to cover, the, you know, have a little skin in the game and pay for your own deductible in the beginning, your first dollars that you're going to have to kind of cover that. Well, the, the employers prime the pump with HRAs by giving you an allowance. They put a sum of money into your health reimbursement account for you. Like if you, in our plan, the way it works, if you have a family, they put $1,500 in. If you're a single individual, they put $500 in. If it's just you and your spouse that are part of the system, they put $1,000 into the plan just to prime the pump. And then what's cool about HRAs, they also give you some incentives. If you go get a doctor's, you know, physical every year, they will give you $125. If you go fill out their health survey about your lifestyle choices and things like that, they'll give you 25 bucks. You know, so they're trying to give you some type of incentive to take a buy into this process. So that, so they give you the money, and then, you know, you cover everything until the deductible's reached. But you don't really feel like you're covering everything because, like I said, they're giving you the first $1,500. So if the deductible... On the on the HRA is three thousand dollars for you as an individual, and you know in seven thousand. Uh, oh, that's, that's actually out of pocket. I'm sorry. Is thirteen hundred dollars for the individual, and then thirty two fifty for the family. You know you know that you've got to cover that first thirteen hundred dollars. But it doesn't hurt as bad because the employers go put you five hundred dollars in there to start off with, and you're going to save a little money on the premium. That's the thing I think most people don't think about. Um, is that you're saving a big chunk usually on the premium, so so it's okay. So you jump in and you cover 100% of your expenses up to the deductible, and then after you hit the deductible, the deductible it kind of jumps in just like it was in the old days where you have coinsurance where you cover 15%, your employer covers 85% until you reach your out-of-pocket limit, uh, which can get up to and that's where I kind of jump to is that an employee it's three thousand dollars for an employee and family it's seven thousand um, dollars, you know that's how they they work. Now here's something that's a benefit of HRAs before I get into health savings accounts. HRAs if you have one person who maybe has who who has diabetes 
or has some sickness where a lot of the you know a lot of the medical dollars that are spent by your family go to one individual. HRAs are great in the fact that you can aggregate that out of pocket by individual instead of just by family. Meaning that if you have you know the out of pocket for an individual, this is the way the Georgia plan works anyway. Is if the out of pocket is three thousand um, dollars, once you're once that family member reaches $3,000 of expenses for them personally that you've had to pay out of pocket, you're done with everything for that individual. Now, if you have to go get something done, you still might have to fill up your your deductible because you haven't reached the family maximum deductible, but you can aggregate it out by individual. Health savings accounts or the high deductible plans, at least the one I'm in, does not work that way. Is You have to reach that family out of pocket before it truly kicks in. But I'm going to explain how that's not the worst thing in the world because of the savings you're getting on the premium as well as the lower out-of-pocket limits. But that is something I wanted to point out is that if you have a person that uses significantly a lot of the resources for your family, you know, the HRA is not a bad deal. Also, you know, an HRA, you probably want to consider working with a flexible spending account. Flexible spending accounts are these accounts that you can set up to save for it used to be a lot more lucrative where you could use over-the-counter drugs, sunscreen, a lot of really cool things. They, they've, they've kind of modified them. Part of the new health care legislation has reformed it to where now you have to go get a doctor's approval to get Tylenol and things like that. So they're, they're not as effective as they were, but you can use a flexible spending account really to cover that donut hole that's left by, you have your employer put that first, you know, 1000 bucks in or $1,500 for your family, but you have 3000 before you reach your deductible you can put 1500 into the flexible spending account and that kind of fills in that donut hole. And the great thing about flexible spending accounts is that they come out pre-Social Security, pre-income taxes, pre-Medicare. So you really, Uncle Sam is helping you pay a lot of those bills. Uh, the problem with flexible spending accounts is use it or lose it. So you don't ever want to get too crazy with how much you put into a flexible spending account because if you have any money left over at the end of the year, it... it it disappears. It, it, the employer gets to keep it. But what they've worked out in the past with, they're great for, you know, your, your routine dental exams. They're great for any of those, you know, essential things that, that you're not covered, you know, your, your, you know, the deductible and other things. So you have to really think long and hard about what you, what your expenses might be. Um, and then I like HRAs and the fact that they, they had a lot of incentive for good behavior. What I think is interesting is that I, w I jumped on the HRA bandwagon last year, and now I look at my health options. PPOs, by the way, are now extinct here in the state of Georgia, it seems like, on at least for the state benefit plan. Now your three options are the HMO, which used to be a cuss word in the past, but now that's the Cadillac. That's what's funny to me is that we've gone to where it's the cuss word, and now it's the Cadillac plan of them. So you have the HMO, which is the most expensive. You have the HRA, which is right underneath the HMO, and then you have the high, deduct high deductible plan. So I think that's kind of where we're going. We used to have where nobody did the HRAs and high deductible plans. You did the PPO. Most people did the PPO. Then you started going to the HMO. Now everybody does the, you know, was doing the HMO. Now they're switching to the HRA. It's funny how this progression is going. So my prediction is everybody's doing the HRA that I know within the school system. Probably going to be doing the high, doing the high deductible in a, in a year or two. And I'm trying to give you the lead in so you can be ahead of the curve because I'm about to explain what's going on with them. That's pretty incredible. Um, let's jump over to the 
to the high deductible plans. Bo, is this making sense? Because I feel like I'm having to get into a lot of meat. And sometimes I worry when I get into these very, very heavy um, podcasts. Am I keeping everybody or are they probably dropping off? How about this? HRA, uh, give us the just a bullet point list of the big benefits. The big things with, with health reimbursement accounts is that your employer is going to prime the pump. They're going to give you some of that money to, to get you, you know, see so the first $1,500 you spend within your family plan is not really coming out of your pocket. It's going to be paid by your employer. All right. So, so that's a great thing. Um, it also lower premiums in the HMO and the PPO options. If you still have that, that is an option for you, which is great. And then here's something, just like I talked about the flexible spending, you either lose it or lose it. If you're an HRA member and you don't use, say you have a year that really you don't go to the doctor at all, and they put that $1,500 into your plan benefit, uh, there's a good chance, well, it will happen as long as you stay employed by that employer, that whatever you didn't use rolls over to next year, which is cool. You know, you get to build up. So next year, you know, you, you don't use that money. You're not going to have to come out of pocket so much to fill up that deductible and stuff because those accounts, because they keep funding. Like that $1,500 is not a one-time thing. Next year, they'll put another $1,500 in there for you. It could really add up really quick, which is, which is nice. Also, remember, part of the new health care reform is all wellness visits, you know, like physicals, immunizations, and things like that. Some um, female visits, you know, the gynecological type stuff. A lot of that stuff is 100% covered. It's required to be 100% covered in all of these plans. So even though you have to cover the first dollars, that first 3000 that's exempt on wellness-type visits. So if you go to the doctor just for a physical to keep yourself healthy, if you haven't spent a dollar of that $3,000 deductible, not a big deal. They still go covered at 100%, which is pretty incredible. So does that help, Bo? Perfect. Okay. HSAs. I've been, these things came out a few years ago and they sounded so good. And because what made them exciting, can you see my, my energy level jumped up because I'm excited about what these things have done this year. I was so excited about these health savings accounts when they first came out because there was a tax benefit. You fund a health savings account and it's deductible on your taxes. And it doesn't matter if you itemize or if you don't itemize because it's going on page one of your tax return. It's an adjustment to income, meaning that it's right there at the bottom of that page one as an adjustment to your income. If you're putting in your own after-tax money, they lower your taxable income by that amount. If your employer, because they can't offer health savings accounts, or your employer lets it come out pre-tax as part of a cafeteria plan, that still comes out before taxes. So it's really got some tax benefits. So you could put in, I think the, the numbers for this year allows you to put in 6,150. Let me make sure I got that number right. For 2000, 2011 coming up, you can contribute $3,050 for an individual person. And for a family, you can contribute $6,150. Those are the tax, you know, the tax benefit amounts you can put in and take those deductions. That's pretty incredible. Because, you know, if you think about it, if you're in a, say you're, you're, you're in the, the 25% bracket for taxes on the federal side, and then you're 6% state, so you got 30 31%. And you put that six thousand dollars in there, you can see you almost have two thousand dollars worth of tax tax savings. Essentially, the government's funding your health care. And what I think is tremendous, and this is where I'm going to kind of go ahead and cut to the chase. The problem with these things in the past is that you're taking on the risk because there's nobody priming the pump for you. You got to cover that first. You got to reach the deductible 100% yourself. 
before the, the insurance company really kicks in on anything. Remember, it's called high deductible plans. These are really catastrophic coverage. They're, they're accounting for healthy people who you buy these plans when you're healthy and you hope you go two or three years, you know, four years with nothing going on and you can let this money really build up because everything you put in there, those accounts, they, they just build up for you, which is incredible that you, you, you're building this stuff up. But the benefit was always proposed that you would save a lot on the monthly premiums. But when they first came out, I didn't see a big savings. It, you know, 50 bucks. You know, so you do 50 bucks times 12 months, $600 savings for me to take the $3,000 and, you know, and take that risk. That seemed, didn't seem like a really good risk-reward proposition. Guess what? That number has changed significantly now. Now, like for me, it's going to be over a $100 a month difference to jump onto the high deductible plan versus the HRA. That $100 a month pretty much covers that $1,500 that they were going to put into the HRA for my benefit. So that washes that out. And then you think about, okay, the HRA, that portion of the deductible that I have to go meet, I have to do, I can do the flexible spending if I want to make it tax favored, meaning I'm going to get the government to whatever the cost of the health insurance if I want to make the government make it a, a deductible expense, expense so that they can cover a portion of it, I have to do it through the flexible spending on the HRA. Well, then I have to guess, and who knows what you're going to spend on your health insurance this coming year. I mean, you've heard I had some issues with my infant daughter this past year, had some big expenses, didn't know about I had no idea. That's not in the flexible spending account. So a lot of that money got paid with after-tax dollars. So it wasn't tax-favored money because I didn't want to put money in flexible spending, not use it, and then that money evaporates health savings accounts, you can just load them up. I'm going to put the full January 1st, Brian's putting in $6,150 into this plan because guess what? If I don't use it all, I don't care because these things, they give you a tax benefit. So $2,000 of that $6,150 is going to be paid by tax savings from Uncle Sam. I use $2,000 of it, $3,000. That money rolls over to next year. And guess what happens when you turn 65 and you qualify for Medicare? Do you know about what happens? The big thing is, is you can use this money f- not just for health care. You can use it for anything. Now, you'd have to pay income tax on it, but you can use it like an IRA. It's like an ad- essentially an additional retirement savings vehicle. So I'm going to lower my taxes by the six grand each year. And then if I haven't needed it for health care, I'm going to be able to use it for whatever I want to once I reach 65. That's tremendous because it's another legal way of hiding money from the government, which is, that's awesome. Um, You have a thought? Yeah, so tell tell me if I'm understanding this correctly. So what it sounds like is, is you put money in this thing and you get a tax deduction immediately, which makes that pre-tax money. Right. So then, if you, if you if you use the money to pay for health expenses, you you don't pay tax when you pull it out to use it. It's completely tax free so for medical. This is money that never ever gets taxed. Am I understanding if that correctly? If it's used for medical purposes, that's correct. Um, if you use it for outside of medical purposes, you will pay income taxes on it. So so keep that in mind. But that that's a pretty incredible. Plus, I'll tell you the the advantage these things have over the health reimbursement accounts is you leave the employer, it's still your money. You leave an HRA, a health reimbursement account, 
that money goes back to your employer. Whereas a health savings account, you leave, it's still your money. It's tied to your social security number, not your employer. Also, they have better co-insurance rates. Remember the HRA, I told you it was 15%, 85%, meaning that if you re- once you reach your deductible, you pay 15%, the insurance company pays 85 until you reach your out-of-pocket limits. These typically go to 10%, 90%, meaning that I have to pay 10% of the expenses the health insurance company pays 90%, which is which is kind of cool. And then I'm always excited that, um, you know, you, you're getting to save for the future. And I will tell you, the, the one thing I am sad that I'm not going to be using, anymore, I guess it's a bittersweet. I'm not super sad um, because I'm excited about the potential for how big this account can be because I got another tidbit I'm going to share with you is I'm not going to do the flexible spending account anymore. Because health savings accounts, you can use them for dental, you can use them for other things. So there's no reason for me to go guesstimate how much I'm going to spend in the flexible spending. So I'm going to go drop it this year. They don't really work that well with flexible spending accounts. But here's what's incredible to me. Remember, the government's going to let me put $6,150 into this plan and lower my taxes. Guess what my out-of-pocket limit is if I stay in network? $4,100 for my family. It's like a $2,000 difference, two thousand fifty right? bucks that I get to automatically roll over to next year and hopefully keep rolling it over for the future. That That's incredible. I mean, that that's $4,100 is the most that I can come out of pocket with before the insurance company that covers everything at 100%. Now, that's the state of Georgia plan. The, compare that HRA, the out-of-pocket maximum for a family, $7,000. That's significant. Now, remember, the advantage, the roll of the dice here is HRA, you can aggregate by individual, meaning that if you have somebody who, who you know who uses a lot of the resources, you hit the out-of-pocket at $3,000 for that one individual, whereas the HRA, health savings account is going to make you go to $4,100 total for the family. Um, HRA is $7,000 for the family. So I think if, you, you know, if you're trying to look at your, my family, it made much more sense for me to go to the health savings account. Um, there are some things, I don't want you to think it's all, you know, roses, because there are some, some things you have to do. You have to take ownership. It's, it's no different than, you know, most things in life. You know, the reason that most millionaires are bit small business owners is because they've gone the road less traveled. And that's kind of the way these health insurance plans, the more educated, the more research you do, the better the rewards are going to be for you. So there is a little bit, because I'll tell you part of the problem with, the, these plans, doctors are not used to these things yet. I know when we switched over to the HRA last year, my wife would get so frustrated because you go to the doctor, you, you have your service done. They think they're still on the copay system. So they're looking for a copay. And you have to say, no, we don't do copays. You bill the insurance company. The insurance company will tell us if we owe more money to you, you know, because we want to get the, the, the discount that's part of the network discount. And doctors just are confused about that. So I will tell you, you might want to go check. I know United Healthcare, that's the one we've used, has on their website a card that you can print out that, t- that you give to the doctor that actually says no copays are to be taken. It also provides the codes that they consider wellness codes so that the, you, the insurance will cover it at 100%. So you just print this card out. You give it to every one of your doctors when you go in and, and you know, and they make a photocopy of your insurance. It will help your you out tremendously because that's the thing my wife would get so frustrated is because they always were asking her for money and she didn't completely understand the plan as well. So she would call me up always from the doctor's office be like, 
Do I need to pay them anything? I'm like, no, tell them to build the insurance company. So I think as more people probably are shifting, like I said, most people in the state now are going to these HRAs, I bet they get the clue. But still print that card out. And I'll tell you, a lot of you are probably nervous from getting away from the copay system. A lot of you are thinking, copays are so easy. But you're probably still remembering when it was 15 to $20. Now copays, like I said, are $45. It doesn't work out. Copays are not necessarily your friend. Perfect example. I went and pulled up. I figured I'd be my own guinea pig, and I pulled up a doctor's visit I did back in April of this year. Went to the doctor just for a routine office visit. Probably had a stuffy nose like I had this time. The doctor billed the insurance company $250. How much do you think the actually was allowed under the plan discount? For This is for a runny nose? Well, I went to the doctor and they did some, you know, so I had an office visit and then I had three lab fees that's on here. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it'd be $250. They discounted that $250 down to $117. So you think about that, $117. If I was, if I'm part of, a, a, you know, the, the high deductible plan and I've reached my deductible already, 10% of $115, I'm going to pay 12 bucks. That's getting that's good. You know, if you're part of the HRA, you're gonna pay fifteen percent of that. That's incredible. So you know, both of those numbers were less than the than the, the copay. So copays are not always your friend. You're paying those high premiums, monthly premiums, and then you're paying these copays every time you go. It might be better just to take the discounted network rate and and, and work with some of these more deductible-driven plans so where you do have skin in the game. So I thought that was interesting when I actually looked at my own doctor's visit because what they did was, it looked like of that 250 165 of it was just the office visit, you know, the routine. Um, they, they said, okay, well, we get a discount of $68, so they took that down to $97. So from 165 to $97. Lab fees, the first one was $45. They're like, we're not paying $45. Bucks. We're only paying $9.79. So they're paying $10. Bucks. They discounted that down to less than a quarter of what they originally billed. And then they had another lab fee. They billed $25. Bucks. They're like, whatever. We're only paying $5.68. And then the last one, they had a lab fee of $15. And they said, we'll pay $5 on that. The only thing that frustrates me when I read these things is, why do we have, I mean, seriously? $25 bucks gets discounted to $5.68? Why don't they just... Charge it, you know, a reasonable rate. In the same way, when you go to the hospital, when we had that that stuff with the infant stuff, I'm amazed. I don't know. It just that that stuff will frustrate you um, when when you're looking at that. I will tell you something I thought was very interesting. And I'm going to start summarizing, kind of close this thing down. Is that my health insurance, the open enrollment book that they sent out to every employee, has what the cost of um, the new health care legislation was, meaning that the thing I pick on you about. Um, a lot of people are able to now get on their parents' health insurance. And I thought it was very interesting that the the healthcare package, it was put together, this was not put together by United Healthcare. This was actually put together by the Georgia Department of Community Health for the State Health Benefit Plan. It's, it wanted you to know what the cost of actually adding that benefit for 26-year-olds was. So, for the HRA, remember now, I don't get, I'm a school board member, so I pay the majority of my costs. But most employees, they're part of the school system, the, the state pays 
and then the employee pays 25% of, of the cost. Of, so there's a, a lot of subsidizing going on here. But it's $12 a month to add that 26-year-old to the plan. So if you bring that up to what it really costs, you have to multiply that by four to get what it really costs. That's $48 a month. You can do the math. 48 times 12. I mean, we're getting close to $600 a year. Every person who has family insurance is having to pay so that 26-year-olds can come onto the, the thing. I was kind of shocked by that number. I didn't realize it was that big because, Bo, when you had your own health insurance before you had to come on your, your, your family's, even though he's gainfully employed and has a good salary here at Preston and Cleveland, what what was your monthly you know plan? It was about one hundred thirty seven a month. Was it one hundred? But we'd reshopped it and we we're gonna get you down to what ninety seven. Yeah, I found some that were right under a hundred. So it just seems crazy that everybody's going to who has a family plan is going to pay fifty dollars a month for just to pick up. I don't know. I, there's a part of me that feels like it should have been means tested. I mean, you have the means to pay for your own insurance, but. That's here nor there. I'll stay away from political discussions, but um, it is interesting. But the thing I want to kind of back it up to, to the health savings accounts and, and bring it back to just things to remember uh, about this is that I think a lot of people avoid these health savings accounts because there's the fear of the uncertainty and we all hate change to a degree. But this is like most things that, that once you understand the process, you realize that ownership of your medical decisions has advantages. You get lower premiums, you get the tax benefits, and then you get to save for the future. That's tremendous. Also, understand how these payments work. You're never going to pay the doctor at the point of service. You're always going to let them bill the insurance company, and then you go, you know, so let the insurance bill first, and then you're going to come back a second time to, to close the transaction out and pay pay whatever you owe. And then also, um, one of the things I hadn't even talked about, and I'm going to give Bo the link. Um, the e-health insurance website, because a lot of times, like when I sign up for this high deductible plan, the HSA is just not automatic. It's up to you, the employee, to go out and find an institution, a bank, a custodian, to put that money into, that 6150 for a family into. It's not the, Your employer is not going to help you with that process whatsoever. So you're going to need to know some resources for who you want to sign up with to be your custodian. I went and looked at a whole list. I ended up signing up with HSA Bank. It's hsabank.com. What I like about them is that they're going to allow me, after I build up my account, I'm going to be able to add a TD Ameritrade investment account onto it. But I will tell you what I'm personally going to do. Not going to open up that TD Ameritrade till probably year two or three. Because I, they pay you interest on what you have in there, and, and the link will show you what their ongoing interest rates. And they're pretty competitive in this low interest rate marketplace right now. But I, I think you've got to keep enough liquidity. You do not want to go invest in stocks or bonds and then need this money for some type of medical procedure, you know, it's just like your anything else. Don't put it in the stock or bond market unless you can let go of that money for five to seven years. So what I need to do is build up the cash, the liquidity of my health savings account to the point that I could go a year to two years with catastrophic medical things going on and still not have to sell something in that TD Ameritrade. So what I'm going to do is just build up straight up cash, money market type funds within my health savings account for a year or two, until that account gets large enough that I can fulfill that out-of-pocket maximums for my family for two years. And I think that's good advice for anybody. Um, things just to remember about, um, you know, HSAs and HRAs is remember who gets to keep the money. Um, backing up flexible spending accounts, it's use it or lose it. HRAs do roll over, but if you ever leave that employer, 
they stay with the employer health savings accounts. When you leave the employer, you get to keep it and potentially use it for the future. Also, make sure you understand, I know, I know this is the third time I've said it, but it's that important. Make sure you understand the doctors on who pays what. Remember, you bill everything to the insurance company except for um, it's okay to pay directly to your dentist. It's okay to pay directly to on, at the prescription drugs when you go to the pharmacist. And the way I'm doing it, one of the things I liked about HSA Bank, go give me two debit cards free of charge tied to that 6000 bucks that I'm depositing. So when my wife goes to the dentist, she's going to be able to swipe that credit card. It's going to yank it right out of that account. How cool is that? Go to the pharmacy to pull a prescription drug, swipe it right out of that account. That's awesome. And then what's going to happen is when I get billed by the insurance company, I mean the doctor, for the now discounted rate for the service, I'm going to put in there just like they always have credit card information you can type in on the bill. Go put in my health savings account, debit card information, treat it just like a credit card transaction. Go yank it out of that account. Very easy. Also, make sure you're checking on you know your your health insurance website. They probably have um, some type of like I know there's a Quicken Health expense tracker that's on the United Healthcare website. That's incredible. I, I just discovered it. Hit the button. It's awesome. Actually, it was Karen, one of our one of our clients' employees, that told me about it awesome awesome benefits so make sure you're utilizing that and um these plans work best these hras hsas since you now have skin in the game they work best when you're informed and you understand what you need to be doing also it's great that wellness is now 100 percent covered i know i picked on the 26 year old provision i will tell you i do like that wellness visits are 100 percent covered now i think that's great you shouldn't need to go get a physical uh, me personally you know i come from a family where we're big strong but sometimes don't have the greatest health Quit laughing. I mean, I'm not a meathead like you, but we're, we're pretty healthy in my family. Um, but well, wellness visits are great that they're covered at 100% because it, and there's an incentive with like HRAs where they're going to actually give you money if you go and you get a physical. That, that's good to catch stuff preemptively instead of waiting. You had some moles that were removed that you found out if you, you know, they were on their way to turn it into something mm-hmm. bad. It's good when you, you're, pre, you know, you're very well involved in your health care. It, it helps you out. And then also, I like that you get to keep what you don't spend. The HRAs and the health savings accounts are tremendous. Is it, it, it takes away that frustration where you're having to guesstimate on, on what you're going to put in the flexible spending accounts and those type of things if you really want to be tax smart with your money. These things will let you, you know, if you, if you, don't, if you have a good year where you're healthy and, you, you know, and you're blessed and nothing happens that year, roll it over to the next year. That's incredible. Okay, I'm looking at the clock and seeing that we're well into this thing. Anything else you think I ought to add, Bo? Any questions that popped up while we were talking about this? No, I think I think that's straightforward. If you guys have questions, send them in. Yeah, send them because I, I, I'm telling you, I have beat this thing down. I feel like I know a lot about health savings accounts, HRAs. This is the time. It's exciting because I've been looking at these things for years, and people have asked me, why don't you do a health savings account? Well, this is the year. I've been pretty excited. One thing I've always said in the past that I ought to throw out there, if you know you're going to have a baby in the next year and you've got group health insurance enrollment coming, take that into account. It might make sense to go with one of the more Cadillac-type plans if you know you're going to you know, have something big. And it's not because the pregnancy is going to be expensive. It's because of the unknown. If you, you have a child that... You know, or the pregnancy doesn't go as normal, and there's some expenses that are out there. Maybe it's all right to pay that extra hundred dollars, one hundred fifty dollars a month monthly premium if you have something like that coming up. If you're planning on having a child or something, but if you're outside of the childbearing years, and you know, you know that that's something that you've closed the the door on, or it's not something you're interested. 
these high deductible plans might be for you. I mean, it's just another way to save for retirement and for health care tax preferred. It's really good. Cool, cool stuff. Okay. Okay. Now, if you're one of my people who doesn't want to hear other stuff that we got going on, go ahead and tune out right now. But I want to talk to my people who are fellow financial advisors, students of finance, or people who want to get in this industry. In the finance industry at all. Yeah. I mean, insurance agents, it doesn't matter. Anybody in the finance... I will tell you is that I got into this. I went out on my own. I've been managing money since the mid-90s, but I went out on my own in 2002. And the very first conference I went to as my own boss, I guess you could say, as, a, as my own owner of a company, I went to a NAPFA conference down here in Georgia, and there was a speaker by the name of Cheryl Holland. And Cheryl was dynamic. And she's kind of a rock star within the fee-only community and I'd say even within the financial industry. And Cheryl was, what I thought was unique about Cheryl was she was doing a basic training like, you know, how to be a good financial advisor, how to run a good company. And she has a big firm that does fee-only work. Well, she was giving out how she did business. And I just remember being so floored at how generous this woman was and how dynamic she was. Um, So I just remembered that. Well, I got invited what was it, uh, fall of last year, we were invited up to a small study session with Southeastern Advisors. It might have actually been two years ago. Yeah, I mean, time Carolina gets away. Station. Anyway, we went up there, and um, Cheryl was hosting a study group for you know advisors in the South um, in Columbia, where her firm is, Abacus Planning. And I went to that, had a chance to go to that, and I got the exact same feeling. I was just like, wow, she is so generous. And I, I started thinking, I came back from that, that, that small group um, up there in Columbia, and I was like, wouldn't it be cool, that feeling you get when you go to conferences and you come back all energized and excited about the three to five concepts that you picked up at the conference, wouldn't that be cool if you, that could go on year-round? And then it hit me. I was like, Brian, you do this podcast, The Money Guy, where you're reaching thousands of people. It, it, it's really amazing to me. Every week when we do this show... You know, like I go, I've, I've spoken to the Rotary Club before here locally. I've gone and I've spoken at national conferences where a few hundred people are there. But then I think about you guys. We're essentially filling up an auditorium with five to 6,000 people every two weeks when we do this show. Wouldn't it be great if we could do that for the advisors? You know, we are educating the masses on personal financial issues. What if we could do that for advisors and lift the entire profession up and get that same feeling I had back in 2002 where... You know, as a new advisor, well, not a new advisor, but a new self-employed advisor where I need to focus on practice management or I need to focus on things that are going on out there in the investment world that other advisors are talking about, technology issues, compliance issues, all these things that are really hitting us, you know, with, with this changing world we live in. And I was like, why don't I do a podcast for other advisors? But I was like, I'd really like to get Cheryl involved in this because she's already so good at working with other advisors and trying to be a kind of a mentor a person that can help those plant those those people grow, and she doesn't even realize the footprints she left in my life just from 2002. So I contacted Cheryl, and she liked the idea, and she said actually it was kind of interesting. The timing of us contacting her was right in line with what she had been talking to her staff about. So we've recorded a few shows, we've released them. Um, they're completely free of charge to go listen to. Um, on iTunes, or you can go to the site directly. The website is advisorskills.com, advisorskills.com. You can go check it out, listen to the show, and then if you really like what you have, go ahead and subscribe. You can get the our future shows that we're going to be doing. 
um, you can get those. But then if you really like it and you want to start getting the templates, you want to start getting the resources that you can use in your office, we are going to have a premium membership where you can go ahead and sign up and become a member. But I would, I would encourage you, go listen to the audio side of things. I, I think it is just tremendous what Cheryl and I do. Now, I will tell you, these first few shows, because um, we've recorded, I think we've got 12 now fully recorded, the first six that are going to be coming out over the next two months, you have to realize... I don't know if I still had the same energy that I have with you guys on the Money Guy Show in the beginning because I'm just so starstruck with Cheryl. I mean, I really am. And Cheryl is new to the microphone. So those first shows, they're so rich with content. But um, I want you to bear with us because it is a new concept. We're working it out. You know, any of my Money Guy listeners who listened to me back in 2006 when I first started this show, you go, you go hear kind of those same things in this, in, in the, as we start advisor skills, because we're starting something brand new. This is not being done out there anywhere else. And I think it's something that's tremendous that we're just giving this away to be a resource for you other advisors. So please go check out advisorskills.com. Also, feel free to go check out Cheryl Holland. Um, you can go check out Abacus Planning Group in Columbia. She's awesome. Please don't harass her. You know, with all, you know, I think she gets a lot of people because she didn't ask me to, to say this. She probably has no idea that I'm even gushing on her like this. And I, Cheryl is such an unassuming person when you meet her. But um, I think you can tell I'm still probably a big fan. I'm starting to get a little more comfortable that we're doing this thing together. But um, just a tremendous resource. And I, I, I like, and I, what I think is great is that she's a large firm. I'm a, a small to mid-sized firm, so we can kind of look at it from multiple perspectives and really give you the whole gamut of what's facing financial advisors right now. Bo, you want, you've been there through all the process. Anything you want to add? No, I think it's great. I think uh, you check it out. You, you go go check out the website. We have some detailed show notes on, each, on every show. Um, and just explore, and, and you might see some things like, oh, man, I've, I've been thinking about this. I wanted to implement this. I just didn't know how. Um, our, our hope is to go ahead and put it out there. This is how you implement. Take this spreadsheet, take this template, take, take this resource, make it your own and use it. And that's kind of the, the whole thought process behind, behind the show. Um, one of the things I can tell you an example is, you know, one of the things we got from that study session we went up to in Columbia was, and I'd heard this at two or three other conferences, but it was the first one I was so motivated afterwards, was rating your clients, putting them in the list, the A, B, and C clients. And we finally did that after that conference. And it was tremendous. I mean, it, it, it kind of changed my business because I started realizing where our resources as a firm were going. And I, I got to tell you, I don't know if it was coincidence or it was just the fact now we were focusing on it. We started picking up a lot more A clients afterwards. I think it's because my demeanor changed on realizing what we were doing as a firm. And I think that can be beneficial to you. And that is one of the templates that we do have out there in the premium section that you you might want to check out if you do like what you're seeing on the free side of things. But um, not too much of an infomercial. I really, I think you can sense from the tone of my voice, I'm a big fan of, of some of the work Cheryl has done. And I think that's something you guys can get. And hopefully by you listening to the show, you're a fan of the money guy. And we use that same common sense approach, even beyond common sense approach, uh, on even managing your own financial advisory firm. But thanks so much for listening. And like I said, you can go check out, if you're interested in the Money Guy Show and getting our show notes, money-guy.com. Go check out Advisor Skills if you want to check out our new venture that we're doing with Cheryl Holland. Um, but thanks so much, and we'll talk to you in about two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. And Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. 
Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. <laughs>